the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God has a line. Well, you know the old saying about when, when somebody draws a line in the sand. Th- this is the line, and the line that God draws is perfect. It is his standard. When we cross the line, that's transgression. We're willfully, deliberately doing something wrong. We're crossing the line that God drew. When we pervert the line, when we change it or redefine it, that's iniquity. And when we, when we don't even measure up to the line, that's sin. Okay, that's the, that's the concept. God has drawn a line. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. There are different ways in which we sin against God. Some of our sins are a result of us purposefully rebelling against Him, whereas others are struggles of a born nature, which we inadvertently fall into. Pastor Gary helps us recognize some of these different ways in which we sin today so that we can be better at recognizing sin in our lives. Ultimately, to sin less, we need Jesus in our hearts. We need Him at the center and as the example of all that we do. Strive to get sin out of your life. You can start doing this now by simply asking for Jesus' help. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 51 for part one of today's message titled, The Sin Solution. Psalm 51 is where we are. Let's uh, take a look here together at Psalm 51. Uh, I am going to uh, first make a a few introductory remarks before we actually read chapter 51. Then we'll pray and dig out this chapter together today. But you might notice uh, your subtitle uh, right underneath Psalm 51. It says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Most people are familiar with David's affair with Bathsheba. It ranks right up there with one of the most regrettable things that David did. Uh, It tells us something about David, though, that he would write Psalm 51 uh, because he is willing to expose one of the uh, most sinful and shameful things that he ever did for all the rest of the world to read. Here we are some 3,000 years later after David, and we're reading about it. So I I do give him credit in that regard that he's being vulnerable and he's being very open with his own personal sin. And uh, rather than rehearse all the salacious details of his affair with Bathsheba today, instead of doing that, we're going to actually look at this from a 
a, a bigger bird's eye uh, perspective. Uh, I want us to learn a few things today about the human heart and the larger subject of sin that David teaches us from his personal story. There is a story behind Psalm 51, and then there is a story behind Psalm 51. The singular story is related to David uh, and those, obviously, that he involved in his sin uh, and how it might affect them. But then there's another story behind Psalm 51, and it really has to do with the sin issue that is the condition of every human heart. And, and so today we're going to be looking at this story from that vantage point. We're going to look at its broader implication that has affected all of humanity. And so I'm going to read chapter 51. It's only 19 verses uh, altogether, so you can just follow along as I read, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll study this chapter together this morning. So Psalm 51, the subtitle again says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Centuries ago, there was a common custom, particularly in England and parts of Scotland... Uh, whereby one particular individual in a community served to be what the community referred to this person centuries ago as the sin eater. How many of you are familiar with the history of the sin eater? Let me just see here. Okay, not too many, a few hands. So let me explain about the sin eater. The job of the sin eater was to eat bread and to drink ale that was offered to him by the family of a deceased person. Uh, this is how it worked. Upon the death of an individual, uh, the family would gather together for a funeral, and the family would call the sin eater. The sin eater was usually a poorer person, and for a small fee, this individual would come to the funeral, 
and the family of the deceased would place on the corpse of their deceased family member bread and a cup of ale. And if it weren't upon the corpse itself, it would be on the top of the casket. And then the sin eater would be hired to come and for a small fee would eat of this bread and drink of the ale. And it was believed that mysteriously the sin of the deceased person would go into the bread that was laid upon him or her. And then the sin eater, when he would consume the bread, would then be taking upon himself the sin of the deceased. There's a very strange custom Uh, But even up into the early 1900s, uh, there is historical record of the practice of the sin eater. It was believed that in this process then that the deceased person could live out eternity without sin because the sin eater assumed the sin on behalf of the deceased person. As a result, the sin eater would voluntarily live a life of seclusion, uh, much like a leper who was considered unclean. The sin eater would live outside of the village community and only be summoned upon the death of a person for which they would be hired to eat the bread. Thus, the sin eater. Now, if you think that is strange, there are also some strange customs that go on around the world today as well in regards to sin and evil and wrongdoing in a person's life. For example, in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, men undergo a purification rite of shoving several feet of cane stalks down their throat into their stomachs. And then they violently pull out the cane stalks, inciting vomiting. And then they force reeds up their nostrils forcefully to cause the sinuses to bleed profusely. And in this process of this vomiting and bloodletting, the belief is that they are purging themselves of evil that they inherited from their mothers when they were born. In addition, as strange as it sounds, in Kathmandu, Nepal, during the festival of Rishi Panchami, women venture out often at night to bathe themselves in animal dung and urine to wash away and to atone for their sins. In other words, I give you these examples because mankind has always had this innate, inherent realization that there is something bad or wrong or evil in one's life. And then with that realization, there is this longing for atonement from whatever this evil, wicked, bad thing is in their life. Now, the Bible has a word for evil, bad, wicked things in our lives. And the word in the Bible is sin. And that really is what Psalm 51 is about. David is aware of his sinfulness. He's aware of what is wrong and evil and bad in his life. And he desperately wants atonement. He desperately wants to be right with God. And he writes Psalm 51 in response to the prophet Nathan confronting him about his sin with Bathsheba, and David just becomes undone. And he writes this psalm to remind us about what sin is, uh, how we should be aware of it in our lives. It is relevant to all of us because all of us have sinned. And in regards to that, how can we be atoned How can we be forgiven? How can we be received and and made right with God? 
That's what Psalm 51 is about. It's very vulnerable. It's very personal. You know, again, he's writing something that here all of us are 3,000 years later reading about his own sin, his own downfall. And yet this is important for all of us to get. Uh, again, I'm not going to rehash the whole adulterous thing, but we're just going to look at this story from the standpoint of the problem of sin. If you'll notice with me here, when David writes the first couple of verses, he talks about sin using three terms. He talks about sin, iniquity, and transgression. If you notice again verses 1 and 2, I'll point out the words to you. The end of verse 1, he says, blot out my transgressions. There's the first word. And then he adds, wash away all my iniquity. That's the second word. And then he says, then cleanse me from my sin. So we have transgression, iniquity, and sin. And all these words describe the human condition, but they can only be understood in light of a holy and perfect God. Who, by the way, is the only one, this pure, holy, and perfect God, who can atone for the sin condition that is killing us all. So this is what David writes about. Now, at the risk of becoming, you know, too much of like a seminary classroom, I do, for the sake of just understanding the basics and the definitions of these words, I do want to take you real quickly through the differences in the definitions of these words. So for those of you who like to take notes, the first word is sin that we're going to look at. It is the Hebrew word hata'ah. And hata'ah means missing the mark. And its basic definition, it means missing the mark. It is a failure to attain a standard. That God has a perfect standard and falling short of that standard is sin. Now, somebody who is unchurched, just, you know, your common person out in the street, if they aren't familiar with the biblical term sin, uh, they will still describe sin using a different phrase. Most people who have any ounce of self-awareness will be able to admit, and here's the phrase, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Most people with any ounce of self-awareness will be able to say, okay, I'm not perfect. We're saying the same thing. Sin is recognizing that God is perfect, we're not, we miss the mark. That's hata'ah. Another word that is used here in this passage is iniquity. Iniquity is the Hebrew word avon, and it means twisted or bent. It describes the bent or twisted character of an individual. It refers to the corrupt nature of a person, to the inherent moral perversity of the heart. And all of us struggle with iniquity as much as we do sin. Because there is something inherently wicked or or immoral uh, or perverse about the human heart. Okay, Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And Jeremiah means God knows it, but... Even, even it escapes our understanding just how wicked our hearts can be. Have you ever done something and you wondered, I never thought in a million years I'd do that. That's a deception of the wicked heart. That's iniquity. And then we have the other word, transgression. Transgression in the Hebrew is uh, pasha, and pasha translates willful rebellion. Willful rebellion. All right, you don't need much more explanation than that. It means basically when you know That something is right and you do the opposite. You willfully, intentionally do what is wrong even though you know better. That's transgression. Let let me illustrate it. You you know how it is if any of you live around Leesburg here. If you've ever been to the Leesburg Post Office on Catoctin Circle. All right. And you go to a very small parking lot there. And at the end of the parking lot when you're coming out of the post office, there's a sign there that says right turn only. Right turn only. But you want to go the other way on Catoctin Circle. 
And so you decide you're going to cut through T.W. Perry's parking lot, right? Because you want to make a left-hand turn. It says right-hand turn only, but you're going to make a left-hand turn because you want to get on Catoctin going the other direction, don't you? All right. Well, anyway, I do. So sometimes <laughs> you make the left, and when you make the left, you transgress. You, not me, but you. I thought of it. <laughs> Maybe I've done it, but anyway... Forget what I just said. Did I talk out loud? But anyhow, it's, that's transgressing. Now, let me summarize three, three, these three words in one simple concept. God has a line. Right, you know the old saying about when, when somebody draws a line in the sand. That, this is the line, and the line that God draws is perfect. It is his standard. When we cross the line, that's transgression. We're willfully, deliberately doing something wrong. We're crossing the line that God drew. When we pervert the line, when we change it or redefine it, that's iniquity. And when we, when we don't even measure up to the line, that's sin. Okay, that's the, that's the concept. God has drawn a line. And the line is his standard of what is right reflected through Scripture. When we cross the line, that's transgression. When we pervert the line or, or redefine it, that is iniquity. When we don't even get to the line, that is sin. Now, if some of you are new or, and you're unchurched in general, you might say, well, I don't know what God's line is about everything. And there's some truth to that. I can tell you over now uh, 30 plus years that I've been a, a Christian, uh, you know, as I've been reading the Bible over the years, I come to learn a little bit more about God's standard than I, than I understood before. Okay, so there are some things that you may not completely get until you are informed about it. But otherwise, the Bible says in Romans 2.15 that God's laws are impressed upon our heart, they are written on our heart, our conscience is bearing witness. What does that mean? What that means is you don't need to know the Bible says do not murder to know that it is wrong to murder. Why do you know that? Because his laws are written on our heart, our conscience is bearing witness. We have an understanding of some of the basics of right and wrong because God has put that in us. You don't have to know that it says in the Bible you shall not steal to know that stealing is wrong. Because his laws are written on our hearts, our conscience is bearing witness. You don't have to know that in the Bible it says you shall not commit adultery to know that adultery is wrong. And we know that adultery is wrong. Unless you live in France. No, I'm not making a joke. The fact of the matter is that the Pew Research Center recently did a study among 40 nations in the world asking them, is adultery morally wrong? 39 out of 40 countries said, yes, it is morally wrong, statistically over a majority, except France. <laughs> Only 47% of the French said that adultery is morally wrong. Why? Because we have joy, we have fun, we have seasons in the sun. <laughs> and often with your wives, oh yes. But seriously, the United States, just to know where the U.S. graded, 84% of Americans in the United States still believe, thankfully, that adultery is wrong. That number should be 100%, but anyway, the other 16% are living like the French. Um, the fact of the matter is, our consciences bear witness. God has written his law in our hearts. Even little children know things that are right and things that are wrong. Instinctively, intuitively. I remember years ago, 
when I was reading Tyler a bedtime story and we were snuggled up in bed and I had the book there and, and it, you know, and it's time to go to bed and just reading a story before you go. And did you, did you ever do this? This really doesn't have anything to do with the story itself. But did you ever, if, when you're really tired at the end of the day and you're reading a book to your kids, do you ever skip like three pages at a time? <laughs> don't judge me. You've done it. And you hope that they don't realize the story makes no sense. <laughs> Because you're leaving out gaps of information, but you're just pulling three pages at a time, and the book is done. And your kid looks at you like, how is the book done so quickly? It's only been 20 seconds. I know, it's a short story. Go to sleep. <laughs> but anyway, I remember one of this, these nights where we're lying in bed, and, and I'm turning the pages like three and four at a time. And, and we come to this one page, and it's crayon scribble mark all, all through the pages. Scribble mark. And he's the oldest and the only child at the time. And, and he was like four or five. And actually, we did have Austin, but, but uh, Austin was, I knew that he wasn't the culprit. And I looked at Tyler and I said, uh, not that he's any better, but because he was too young. Uh, where is he? But anyhow, um, but I said to Tyler, so we're looking at this book, and I said, Tyler, look at that. Look at that. Who did that? And his eyes got all wide. And without missing a beat, he said, Mommy did that. <laughs> Mommy did that. Threw mom right under the bus. He knew it was wrong. See, he knew even as a four or five-year-old, he knew it was wrong, but he didn't want to take the blame, so he shoved the blame off onto somebody else. But there is this instinctive thing. Why? Because God has written his laws on our heart, our consciences bearing witness. This is why David says, look at verses 3 and 4. This is why David says here in verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. He says, against you, you only have I sinned, Lord, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David's like, I, I just submit my life to you, Lord, because I know you're right. You, you are a good judge, and whatever you have for me, I accept. Now, he's going to plead for the mercy of God, but he recognizes that God is just in doing whatever, whatever might follow. So David knows God's laws. But his conscience has convicted him that he has offended God by his actions. And so there are five things that I want us to see, and I'm going to go through the list rather rapidly, but there are five things that I want us to see from chapter 51 here that have to do with this broader subject of sin. Not, not David's sin per se, although some of that's going to get woven into this, but the broader subject of sin and how it affects all of us. Now, I will say this before I even give you point number one. There are times when I step up to the pulpit, you know, I'm dealing with a subject like this, and I feel like how doctors must feel sometimes. By that, I, I, I don't mean that I think I'm God. Um, <laughs> only the medical people got that joke. Let me tell you how I, let me, let me tell you something. Years, years ago, I was making a pastoral visit to Fair Oaks Hospital. Okay, and, I, and you had to sign in. I have a, a clergy ID badge, and, I, and I'm making my way up to the right floor, and I get on this elevator, and the elevator opens, and there are five nurses already on the elevator. And I step into the elevator, and they saw the little clergy ID badge on me, so I step in. I said, hey, hello. And they, they saw the clergy badge, and they said, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm here making a hospital visit. They said, would you like to hear a good joke? All right, five nurses on an elevator asking me if I want to hear a good joke. Go ahead. So they said, what's the difference between God and doctors? So I don't know. You tell me. They said, well, God really is God and doctors only think they are. <laughs> and they were cracking up hysterically. 
I didn't even get the joke. I'm like, ha, ah, ah. ha. Oh, come on. You not only turn the pages, you give fake laughs every once in a while too, don't you? I was just like, ah, and they said, okay, we see you don't get the joke. Well, sometimes doctors have God complexes, and then they're just laughing. I, I know that doesn't apply to any doctors here at Cornerstone. <laughs> We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person, too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.